paralyzed by fear. Has anybody ever uh, dealt with fear at all? Is anyone afraid to admit they've dealt with fear before? No? Everybody will admit it, dealt with fear. Fear is a common thing in, in this world, and fear, what we're going to talk about today is that fear can inhibit us. Fear is a tactic that the enemy will use to paralyze you as a Christian into either not taking action, taking the wrong action, or being reactive to the wrong thing. I read the story about five-year-old Johnny. Five-year-old Johnny was in the kitchen as his mother made supper, and she asked him to go into the pantry and get her a can of tomato soup. He didn't want to go in there. He didn't want to go in alone because it was dark in the pantry. He said in protest, it's dark in there and I'm scared. She asked again and he persisted. Finally, she said, it's okay. Jesus will be in there with you. Johnny walked hesitantly to the door and he slowly opened that door and he peeked inside and it was dark. He contemplated for a moment and he began to hesitantly turn and walk away, but instead a thought struck him and he had an idea. So looking into that dark pantry, Johnny said, Jesus, if you're in there, can you hand me a can of tomato soup? It's a pretty sharp young boy. His fear may have been irrational. We had adults we adults, we can see the rationality of his fear. But we can also relate because fear is something that we've all experienced at some point in our life and probably will experience it sometime in the future. Satan uses the tactic of fear to cause us not to act on our faith in God. He wants to disrupt your ability to trust God in moments of fear. Let me tell you what fear will do. Fear can motivate us to break God's law. Fear will motivate us not to act. And fear will motivate you to end up denying the power of Jesus Christ. Fear can be detrimental to a Christian. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 and 11, we have the story of Abram and Abram with his wife Sarai. They're traveling through the land. They come to Egypt. And it says they went down to Egypt because there was a famine that was severe in the land. Verse 11 says it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you're a woman of beautiful countenance. I know you're a pretty girl. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Fear motivated Abram to organize with his wife Sarai to lie about their relationship. Now we read on and we find that God rescued Abram from his own lie. Verse 17 says, the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Abram lied about his relationship with his wife, and because of that lie, Pharaoh made a decision that he should have Sarai. 
And in the process, God had to step in and intervene. But you know, the interesting thing is that everything that happened was motivated by Abram's fear that his wife being attractive would cause someone to kill him and to take his wife. Fear will motivate you, but it won't motivate you in the right direction. You would think that Abram would have learned that in this one instance that he would be protected, his family would be protected by God, and that he'd have no no reason, it would be irrational to fear again that he would be killed and his wife would be taken. But you know, interestingly enough, 10 chapters later in Genesis 20, Abram now has grown closer to God, he's got promises from God, he's got a covenant relationship with God, God has even went so far as to change his name to become Abraham. But again, we find he's motivated by the same fear. Verse 2 says, Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So again, he's motivated by this fear, this irrational fear that he's going to be killed and his wife will be taken from him. And because of this fear, he lies. Now, we all know lying is not okay. And you can't convince me that God didn't negatively look on Abraham's lie over his wife. God saw that as a negative thing. That could have been something that interrupted the promises of Abraham's life that God had given to him. But again, God steps in and intervenes to save Abraham from himself. Notice I'm going to say that again. He's saving Abraham from himself. Because if Abraham had never lied, neither of these instances would have occurred. And if you have to lie to escape what could potentially happen, then how powerful is the God you serve anyway? So Abraham lies. And again, God intervenes. Verse 3 says, God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken. She is a man's wife. And both times, because fear motivated Abraham, he lied about the relationship. And both times, both of the men who were involved had to return his wife to him because of the threat that God put upon their life. Fear motivated him. Another example of fear motivating someone is fear motivated Saul not to fight against Goliath. In Samuel chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 17, it was fear that kept Saul inside the tent when he should have been out on the battlefield. It was the place of the king to lead God's armies into battle. Saul feared death and Saul feared losing a battle. Saul feared his countrymen being turned into servants. Saul feared being that his legacy would be the thing that led them into the Philistines uh, as being slaves to the Philistines. That's what he feared. And fear motivated him to do what he should not do, which was to stay inside of the tent. Fear motivated him instead to allow a young boy to go out and fight the battle he should have been fighting. Motivated by fear. Saul was the chosen one. He was the king. 
Saul was the one. He stood, the scripture says he stood shoulders above other men. Verse 9, chapter 9, verse 2. He had a choice, handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So if you have a picture in your mind of like maybe the heroic leading man in a movie, Saul had that picture going for him. He was the chosen king, and when he should have been out there on the battlefield leading God's armies into the battle against the Philistines, instead he was hiding in fear in his tent. Every time Goliath came out and would say, send me a man, send me someone to fight with me, Saul stood in his, stayed in his tent. Every time that it happened and every time Saul was not the one to step onto the battlefield, the scripture tells us that the Israelites would run, they would flee, they would hide because fear overcame the camp because Saul was motivated by fear. Fear is contagious. Fear will destroy what God is trying to do. So fear motivated Saul not to fight the battle he should have been in. And fear motivated Saul to let David, a shepherd boy, walk onto the battlefield and face a giant he should have taken down. And fear motivated Saul to end up losing his kingdom because of fear. Sometimes the fear that we greatest that we hold on to the strongest and we have most of it, it's the fear that comes true. It's the fear that comes true. I was reading a book about counseling, psychology, marriage, and relationships, and, and in the book, the person told the story of a relationship where these two type of personalities would be together in a marriage relationship and the one that is always fearful that the other one is going to leave would constantly, in the middle of heated arguments and battles and the things that happen in every marriage. Amen? Anybody want to admit that? Or are you afraid to admit that? That in the middle, they would let fly, well, I want a divorce. I'm going to divorce you. Not a light threat. But over years and years and years of saying, making that threat, eventually the other partner got in their mind, eventually this person is going to leave me. Even though it was a hollow threat, they never intended any teeth to it. They weren't going to actually do it. And he says what ends up happening is the person finally gets to the place where they're convinced eventually there's going to be a divorce. And so they finally hit the last straw and they say, all right, you want divorce, we got divorce. Here's your divorce. And then the person who's been threatening for years and years is distraught because they never intended for there to be a divorce in the family. It's the fear that motivated the outcome. Fear is detrimental to a Christian. Fear will motivate us to deny the power of God. And it will motivate us to deny Jesus Christ. Peter was motivated by fear when he denied Jesus. Look at what John 18, 15 through 18 says. Simon Peter followed Jesus and so did another disciple. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and when, 
went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke spoke to her who kept the building, kept the door, and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? And he said, I am not. I am not. We can see in other places in Scripture where he denied him three times. I'll show you what the motivation for denying was. Verse 18 says, Now the servants and officers had made a fire of coals, stood there, and it, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. Peter, looking at all of the outside indicators, saw these soldiers and these men, the very ones who were responsible for putting his master on a cross. And he said, I'm not going to be counted with him right now. He was motivated by fear, and fear caused him to deny Jesus Christ. Look at Matthew 26, 69 through 74. Now Peter sat outside the courtyard, sat outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him saying, you also were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you are saying. He's adamantly denying When he had gone out to the gateway, another girl saw him and said to those who were there, this fellow also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But again, he denied with an oath, I do not know the man. And a little later, those who stood by came up and said to Peter, surely you also are one of them, for your speech betrays you. Then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Notice what fear did to Peter. The man he had walked with for the last few years, the man he had seen do miracles, the man who he understood and knew and had great revelation that he was the Christ, he was the Savior, the Messiah, the one that he knew all of this about, that fear got inside of him and fear motivated him to deny the very one that he had followed for so long. Fear will wreck your relationship with Jesus Christ. Fear will motivate you to lie. It'll motivate you to hide. It'll motivate you to deny Jesus. God has not called us to fear, but He has called us to faith. And faith in the middle of uncertain circumstances, in the middle of the heaviest trial, in the middle of intense moments, faith trusts God even when fear is telling us to abandon the thing that we have been trusting for so long. If fear has been plaguing you, I want you to hear me today. If fear has been plaguing you, there is an answer to your fear. Because fear, life of the Christian is unhealthy. And what you need in your life, more than anything else, is you need the Spirit. Because the Spirit is the thing that works in opposition to the attack of the enemy. 
Fear will motivate you to do all these things. But I'm telling you, faith and the Spirit of God, when they're combined inside of a Christian, there is something that happens. You begin to stand up where you didn't imagine you could stand up. You begin to walk through things with faith, not realizing and thinking, maybe I could never have made this before. But you get on the other side of the mountain and you look back and you say, I don't know how I made it over, but somehow the Lord brought me across. Romans 8, 14 through 15. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, God has not given us a spirit of fear. 2 Timothy 1 and 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Fear should not be the thing that motivates the Christian. The believer should be free from that fear. And a Christian should be able to go to the throne room of God and take that fear that tries to attack all of us and put it in its proper place and say, no, that's irrational. God is ordering my steps. It may look bleak. It may look down right now, but God is ordering my steps. And I know if He has me to walk through this, He's got a plan in my life. It's called trusting God with the bigger picture. And there's a picture that you can't see and always understand. Job never knew why what was happening in his life was happening. All he knew was that it was happening. You and I get the benefit of why. We get to read about what happened in heaven between Satan and God and the discussion going on about Job's life. But we never, Job never understood that. He never knew that. And even there are things that God will tell us. And even in the midst of Him telling us, we won't understand. Jesus told His disciples all about Calvary. He told the disciples all about the resurrection. But they did not understand. That's what the book of Luke says. It says, they did not understand these things. They couldn't comprehend what He was talking about. And there are times I've learned, I can't comprehend what God is saying, but if I'll just trust Him. Just trust Him. And just keep walking. Trusting God. Because instead of the spirit of fear... He has given us His Spirit. And notice what Paul wrote to Timothy about the Spirit. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He said there's power, there's love, and there's a sound mind. Power. Jesus said in Acts 8 and 1, or 1 and 8, He said, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That word power there is dunamis. It's a Greek word. And it doesn't just mean strength, but it means miraculous power. It means ability to do something you've not been able to do until this point. It means this supernatural ability that lifts you up and miraculously empowers you to do the things that you're called to do as a Christian. Consider the martyrs throughout the age who faced death and they did it with with a smile on their face, and they said, it's better for me to die and be with Christ than to live. That is dunamis. That is the power to stand up and be a witness for God. He said, you shall receive dunamis. The word is used in 2 Timothy. It's the same word for power. You see, when you receive the Spirit, you're going to receive power that you have not had. 
2 Timothy 1 and 7, going back to it, says, but of power and of love. That's what he's given us, love. 1 John 4, 12 through 13, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us by this, by what? By loving one another. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. Let me tell you what sets Christians apart from the rest of the world, or should, let me put it this way, should separate Christians from the rest of the world. How we treat one another, that should separate us. Because in the world, it's always, how can I get ahead? How can I get above someone else? How can I move forward? And people are willing to lie, cheat, and steal in order to get advanced. But in the brotherhood of Christianity, it should not be so. Instead, we should love one another. We should elevate others above ourselves. We're called to servanthood. And serving, you cannot serve without loving one another. He goes on in verse 17. Love has been perfected. stumbled over my words. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but what? Perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. How many of us will agree to that? Fear can be tormenting. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. You know what he's saying? He's saying it's easy to love him. He loved us first. But how do we treat a brother or a sister? How do we show our love toward one another? How do we treat the believers that are around us? Do we... Love them. It's in that love. It's in loving them. As Scripture has said, that fear is cast out. If you love God, you will love His children. Going back to 2 Timothy 1 and 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of sound mind. That word, that, those two words are the single word in Greek, sound mind. That word is self-control. He has given to His people self-control. Self-control in troubled times. Self-control when fear is trying to tell you to abandon all hope. Self-control when fear is trying to tell you that you need to act or not act. It's it's self-control whenever all of the storm is raging on the outside and you're easily distracted to look at what's going on in the storm instead of looking toward Jesus Christ and saying, even in this storm, He has my hand, His hand in my life. He has His hand in what I'm going through. Self-control. The Spirit He gives, gives us power, gives us the ability to love, and it gives us self-control. Think about that for a moment. Fear caused Abraham to lie. It caused Saul to hide. And it caused Peter to deny him. But now, you'd say, well, none of them had the Spirit inside of them. But you know what's interesting? Peter did receive the Spirit. And we can see a radical transformation in a very short period of time between the Peter before 
and the Peter very soon after receiving the Spirit. Acts 2, 1 through 4 recounts to us when they received the Spirit. The day of Pentecost had fully come. They're all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit moved in and filled all of them, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit led them. Verse 5 through 6 tells us that there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven, when the sound occurred, when they heard what was happening, when they heard them speaking in tongues, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now, in this amazement, in this event that's happening, they start to come up with all kind of theories about what is going on. Some of them start to say, well, they're, they're drunk. Verse 13, others mocking say they're full of new wine. They say they're drunk. Some others are just asking, what could this mean? Verse 12, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? In Acts 2, 14 through 15, Peter stands up and he says, wait a minute, they're not drunk. You want to know what this means? Let me tell you what this means. He raises his voice and he says to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Now, the Peter of old would have kind of slinked back into the crowd. He would have kind of slid to the back. Let someone else deal with the questions. Let someone else deal with these mockers who are saying that they're drunk at this early hour in the morning. But not this new Peter. This new Peter, he's been filled with the Spirit of God. He is a new creature in God. And he stands up with boldness and he lifts his voice up under great pressure and he stands to proclaim Jesus Christ and all of his promises to those people. The Spirit is the opposite and works the opposite of fear and how it motivates. 30 days prior to this, Peter was denying Jesus Christ. Or 50 days, excuse me, 50 days prior to this, Peter was denying Jesus Christ. On that uncertain moment, he stood up to deny Jesus Christ. said, I don't know him. But now, after the Spirit of God comes into his life, under great pressure from all of the multitudes that are there. He stands up and he preaches the first message that is recorded in Scripture of the New Testament church. You see, the baptism of the Spirit will change your life. It will embolden you in ways that you never thought you possibly couldn't be emboldened. It will make you do things you never thought you could or you would where Peter would have hid and denied what was happening before. Now, Peter lifts up his voice and says, Here, look at me. 
Look where I'm, what I'm saying. I'm saying this is Jesus Christ, and though you crucified Him, this is the promise that He has for you in your life. So if you're dealing with, spirit, with the spirit of fear, if you're dealing with fear in your life, what you need is you need a baptism of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, how, how do I get the baptism of the Holy Spirit? I mean, I, I'm a believer, but, but what... What are you meaning? How do I get this extra power? Because I just can't overcome this fear in my life on my own. Let me tell you, it's the same way that Peter told those men and women that day how they should receive the Spirit. Verse 37 says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? What do I need to do to get a hold of this power and what's happening right now in these people's lives? Peter said to them, Repent. Repentance is very simple. It just means that I turn away from my old life. And you say, well, I've done that. I've turned away from sin. And that's really what it means. It means to turn and make an about face. In the military, uh, they would say repent and you would strike your heel and you would turn and pivot and head right back in the other direction that you were coming from. It means to make an about face. And so you repent from this life and from sin. And then he says, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And that's very simple. It's just going down in water, being baptized in Jesus' name. And there's a whole study we can do on baptism to understand the power and the effects that baptism and faith has on a person's life. But then he says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's God's promise to us, that if we're obedient, if we believe and we trust Him, we repent of our sins and we're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, then every one of us shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, it's not a different experience than what they had in Acts chapter 2, 1 through 4. It's not something separate. It is the same experience. It's the same event taking place in every person's life who believes and trusts God. And in that spirit, there is miraculous power that will help you to overcome the fear that is operating in your life. Now, when I say that to people, inevitably, inevitably, the next thing I have to deal with is them saying, well, what if I don't receive it? What if I don't receive it? What what if I do everything you're telling me to do and I don't receive it? Can you see how the enemy is placing fear right in the moment? Because if he can stop you from acting, he can stop what God's trying to do in your life. If he can cause you to hide, if he can cause you to turn away in fear, if he can cause you to deny what God is promising you, if he can cause you to be motivated by fear instead of being motivated by faith, then he can stop the very thing God is wanting to do in your life in this one moment. And the answer for that fear is always the baptism of the Spirit of God. You'll stand with me. When my wife and I, we traveled for seven years across the United States and parts of Canada and 
occasionally to other countries and we'd minister. I'd tell people about the promise that God has for them that they would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues just as they did on the day of Pentecost and that promise is for everyone. And I'd pray with people and they'd receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. Thousands of times I've seen this happen. It's nothing I'm doing. It's, you don't even have to have me pray with you. You can pray at home and ask God to give it to you. God's promises are sure he will give it. But what's amazing is every time that I've prayed with someone, they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I learned a long time ago a trick of the enemy is immediately to try and tell the person that their experience was fake, that it was just emotionalism, that it was the moment they experienced some excitement and what they had happened did not actually happen. Why? Because fear is a tactic of the enemy. Because if he can get you to fear, he can get you to doubt. Abram feared because he doubted that God would protect them in those foreign hostile lands. Saul feared because he doubted his position, his authority, and what God had placed him to lead in Israel. Peter denied because of fear. He feared because of the doubt and the uncertainty of what was happening. His master had just been crucified. But the answer to every one of those fears is found in the Spirit. That's why Paul told Timothy, wrote to Timothy and emphatically said, God has not, God has not, fear is not of God. God has not given us a spirit of fear. What has he given us? In the spirit, he's given us power, miraculous power. He's given us love, the ability to love one another. You know, Let's be honest. There are some people that you struggle to love. They're probably at work. There's somebody at work that you're like, you know, I really could go the whole year without seeing that person. Possibly my whole lifetime, right? I'm telling you, the Spirit of God can help you to love that person. Because if you start praying for them, you're going to start to care. You're going to start to love them. He said, he's not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit. He's given us power, love, and a sound mind. He's given you self-control that whenever you recognize that's fear, you can start to say, now why am I fearing this? Why does this seem like it's trying to get out of control? Because I know God's working in my life. God has a big picture that he's leading me through and to. And I can trust him. I'm telling you, what you need is you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen. For just a moment, why don't we let the Spirit of God speak to us in this place. Every head bowed, every eye closed.
It's between you and God. No one's looking around, everybody concerned for themselves. God, you see all of us here. God, you see the the strong exterior that we put up. We tried to make it outwardly facing so that everyone says, well, he's got it put together or she's got it put together. God, you see beyond all of that. You see straight down to the heart. You see our deepest concerns. You see our fears. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, God, that that fear that the enemy has been using to manipulate people's lives, to motivate them to go away from the promises you have for them, I pray that the Spirit of God would confirm the message that I've been preaching today. God, tug at someone's heart and let them know that your promise is for them, that that fear that they are in bondage to right now, that fear doesn't have to stay in their life. I pray in Jesus' name that the Spirit would do what I cannot do, that it would draw men and women toward your promise. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. One more minute, just every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here and you've been battling fear, I've been plagued by fear. Would you lift your hand? You're just admitting to God, God, I've been struggling with this fear and I'm ready to be done with it. God, I, I, I recognize that I need you to intervene this fear in my life. Now, if I could ask everyone to join me in lifting your hands toward heaven. God, you saw every person that lifted their hand. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, God, that your spirit would speak to them. God would touch them. God would help them to overcome this fear. God, that you would prove those promises in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I pray, God, that there would be a breaking of bondage of fear in this place. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Wrestle me with a melody.